Hello, everyone. Welcome to Just Flow With It. I am your host, Mary Laerta. And as always, we are here to inspire each other to live our lives as our true, most authentic selves so that we can continue to flow with our gifts, our talents, and just flow through life being us, you know, living out who we really, truly are. And nothing is more honest and truthful and just liberating as that is. So I'm super excited to welcome you all here today because I am speaking with a really good friend of my family. He's actually an old friend of my fiance. And so I've known him for quite a while. And the reason why I brought him into the podcast is because I think that it's super important to talk to someone like him. And the reason why is because he is a realtor. He's a real estate agent. And one of the most important things that you can do in this world is to invest in yourself, right? And one of the ways you can invest in yourself is to build wealth, not just to build wealth for you personally, but also to build wealth for the future generations, right? Your kids, your kids' kids, if you are having children, even if you're not going to have kids, this is your opportunity to even pass this on to, you know, a noteworthy cause or a noteworthy organization, right? So we're going to talk to him about what it takes to buy your home, what one needs to have prepared? What are some of the best practices to be aware of? What are some of the things that you should be aware of to avoid, right? These are the things that I'm going to talk to Greg about. And obviously, there are a lot of realtors or real estate agents to choose from, especially being here in Los Angeles. But I have my reasons why I wanted to speak to Greg. One of those reasons is that he is just so passionate about what he does and the amount of care, the genuine care that he puts into how he treats his clients and how he services his clients is just unmeasurable. Um, so I definitely wanted to talk to someone who has just that genuine interest and passion for what they do. He's also super knowledgeable about the real estate business. You can check out his Instagram. He actually shares a lot of useful information there as well. Um, and then he just has such a strong drive for continuing on with his endeavor, with his business. I mean, I've seen Greg start his his start, like get his start in the real estate game. And, you know, just like anything else that's worthwhile, whether that's a business or, or whether that's training for, you know, a, a sport or a triathlon or whatever it is, you're going to come across challenges, right? Because that's what life is about. When you're going to set out to do something great, you're going to encounter challenges. And I saw Greg definitely encounter challenges when it came to him building his real estate business, but he kept going and he kept going because he wasn't. 100% concerned about the result, right? It's so easy to kind of quit when you're not getting, you know, that sale, right? Or, or that instant gratification that usually we get through money, through prizes. Um, but he stuck to it because he focused on the process. He knew that eventually because of his talent, 
his know-how, you know, his abilities, he was going to get there. That was really never the question for him. So what he instead focused on is really building out his process. That's what I think separates him from a lot of people who have tried to create something that he has right now, which is a really thriving real estate business that is built on genuine care and love for servicing his clients and also just for the real estate game in general. So anyway, rather than me tell you about Greg, I'm just going to let you listen to my talk with him. So without further ado, here is my interview with real estate agent Greg Eubanks. Greg, welcome to the show. How are you? Oh, I'm doing fabulous, doing fabulous. I'm, I'm really uh, excited to be on your podcast and, and get a yeah. chance to have a conversation. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for agreeing to do this because I thought it would be fun and also really useful and informative to talk to someone like you who's a real estate professional, who's a who's a realtor. Is that how you say it? Realtor or realtor? Like I never know which one is no, right. I'm glad you I'm glad you brought that up uh, because many <laughs> people pronounce it wrong. They say realtor and uh -huh. there's no I there's no I in realtor. Uh, oh was realtor, but many people say realtor. So that's okay. how you know sometimes the difference between someone just starting off and someone who's been in the business. <laughs> All right. So realtor, it's official, guys. It's how realtor. you say it. Realtor. Yeah. So yeah, someone who's a realtor, I thought it would be really useful to talk to you because uh, a lot of my listeners are people who are around my age, a little bit older or a little bit younger. And I think that a lot of people who are in my age bracket are looking, you know, or at least thinking about starting to buy a home. Um, and it's something that has been ingrained in a lot of people's minds, like, you know, the American dream type of thing. Um, and it's also a really important part of generational wealth. So before we get into all that stuff, why don't you just describe um, or give everyone like a, a, a synopsis of who you are and how you got into real estate in the first place. Um, absolutely. So uh, I got my start. My mother was a loan originator for a while when I was growing up. And so I learned about real estate in that sense of seeing her just conduct business on the loan side of things. And she ultimately bought a few properties as well. And as I turned 18, she was very... Uh, she was very adamant about me getting my credit right. And so uh, I ended up having really good credit. Um, and at 20 years old, I actually bought my first property. I bought a duplex. I was a junior in college. This is back in Minnesota. I was born and raised there. So I was at the University of Minnesota and I bought a, a duplex. It had a upper unit and a lower unit. And it was my first chance of being a property manager and a landlord. Uh, so I was really excited about that. I had got this loan. Uh, it's crazy because the interest rate on that loan was like seven and a quarter percent, which is like crazy now because interest rates are like three percent now. So I was wow. more than double <laughs> what the interest rates um, were uh, back then. And so uh, I got a duplex. It was actually a good situation. I was cash flowing almost a thousand dollars a month. You know, I'm a junior in college and just trying to figure it out. I mean, um, 
That's impressive though, Greg. You don't meet a lot of juniors in college having their own commercial real estate. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, it was, but you know, I had a, had a bunch of, bunch of bruises, bunch, bunch of bumps in the road. You know, I had to learn how to evict, you know, because at that time I didn't know how to really vet tenants. And so anybody that wanted to rent it, I was just like, oh, because I, I wanted to get the monthly rent, you know, so I would be very uh, quick to the trigger as far as getting people in there and they weren't always the best tenants. And so I learned a lot of life lessons. You know, I did a lot of evictions at the courthouse. Like, I think they started to know me by name after a while. <laughs> I, was, I was getting these tenants that just didn't want to pay. And then I got these Section 8 tenants and one of them were was good, but then the other one, other it, it was just it was just a big, big mess but you know mm-hmm. i learned a lot from it learning how to get the right security deposit learning how to do background check learning to check for references you know call you know the previous places they rented from and, mm-hmm. and just building a story uh so i learned a lot and and i had that property for maybe five or six years um and it, and it served me well and so um i bought that then a couple of years later, I got a condo in, in Minnesota, and then I ended up moving out to Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And when I got out here, I, I did corporate for a couple of years. And then I started to really think about making real estate a career. And that's when I really thought about becoming a real estate agent and getting my license. And so I got my license in 2014, um, but I was still working corporate. I was trying to find an exit plan um, from corporate, and I thought being a real stage was it you know I really wanted to start my own brand my own business mm-hmm. and really <clears throat> try to thrive without being under a corporate umbrella because that's just all I knew right uh, so 2014 got my license the first year I didn't do one deal <laughs> you know, I, I didn't do a single <laughs> deal I, I it was it was a struggle but I kept at it you know I just kept wanting to learn you know and, and it's hard to do real estate when you're not from the area Right. Uh, because I had no family, no friends, no network to really um, lean on that were in a position to buy homes. And so I was literally mm-hmm. piling the pavement, trying to talk to strangers, trying to get them to work with me. Um, and so uh, first year was very, very, very difficult, um, you know, to work anywhere for an entire year and not get a single dollar. <laughs> is, uh, so what kept you going? What's that? What kept you going? Um, I just, you know, I just really believed in myself. So I, I was still working corporate at that time. So I was doing it part-time. But when I tell you, I was working on it every single day. And then on the weekends when I didn't work, I was doing open houses. And I was just trying to figure it out. So, I mean, I put a lot of hours in it. But what kept me going was it's about sowing seeds. And so you, you sow as many seeds as you can. And then you just start watering them. And, you know, if you use the analogy of a plant, you know, you water it, you don't see it sprouting right away. It takes time, you know, and just continue to water. And then eventually it'll start sprouting and you'll start seeing results. And so always kept that in the back of my mind was just keep working, keep working at it. This is something that you are passionate about. You enjoy it. Don't quit now. Cause I, the last thing I wanted to do was go back into the corporate world. I was just like, Hmm. I didn't want to go back. You know, I had a couple of sour experiences. Um, so I was just like, it was either this or, or nothing else at all. And so um, I ended up leaving Hershey. And at that time when I left, which was a job I was working, the corporate job I was working at that time mm-hmm. when I left them, I was really leaning on like not really have done any deals at that time. And now I was going to go full time mm. with, without 
having a whole lot of success. But I took that leap of faith and I just believed in it. And at that time, you know, I was leaning on people that were entrepreneurs that, that were doing successful. So at that time, I was doing the entrepreneur anonymous circles, yeah. which I know you're, you're aware of. I um, remember. And that really helped me out a lot. That, that, that was really gave me the confidence was just being at those circles, which for the listeners, you know, there was these entrepreneur anonymous circles that we would go to where it'd be like, maybe eight to 10 entrepreneurs and we would meet on a routine basis and everybody would just talk about their journey uh, mm -hmm. with their business and what they were winning at, what they were losing at, what were the struggles, just everything. And so being able to hear that firsthand and, and hearing like the struggles, but then also hearing the wins and just hearing like just through resiliency, how mm -hmm. people uh were overcoming those obstacles it gave me the confidence that i needed just to continue to go and i'm like if i just keep this up i know the results are going to come i know that i'm competent i know i have the skill set i have the passion i have the drive i have the work ethic and uh so i just kept at it and then slowly but surely the results start coming mm, that makes a lot of sense i think that you did what you needed which was surround yourself with other people who were who are also entrepreneurs, like you said, like they gave you energy, you know, you guys were able to be like a soundboard for each other. And you also probably learned a few things that have worked for them that might work for you too. That's also really helpful when having people, you know, that are doing the same thing you are, maybe not in the same industry, but they're still entrepreneurs like you. Exactly. Right. So right now is sort of like a tricky time, right? You've got the pandemic. Um, how has that affected the real estate climate right now? Are you seeing an increase or a decrease in home buyers or home sellers? What's going on? That's a good question. Um, so we're definitely in a, a unique time in, in the history of the country and uh, even with real estate. Um, to be honest with you, I've had a really good 2020 in regards to real estate. This has probably nice. been the best year I've ever had in real estate as far as, uh, as far as deals and transactions close and the actual volume that I'm producing, which who would have thought, you know, during COVID um, that this has happened, but it's, it's created a unique vacuum or it's unique space where uh, those that haven't been impacted financially with COVID are still in prime position to buy a home. And so many of those buyers that uh, entered the market this year that are, you know, more of your, your, your white collar workers or your, your, your tech uh, engineers. And here in Los Angeles, we've got plenty of those, right? We've got Silicon mm -hmm. Beach. Uh, so there's, there's tons of, you know, aerospace engineers that I've been working with, uh, tech people, marketing people. And these people, uh, now they're working more remote uh, but their job has not been impacted. And so they found this window of what they feel of an opportunity to buy a home. And um, even though prices haven't like sunken or they haven't softened very much, um, it's, it's been a little bit uh, easier, I guess, because the buyer pool isn't as big as it normally is. So uh, for the listeners, this LA market has been immensely competitive over the last eight, nine years. Um, the, the, I'm sure everybody is aware back in 2008 uh, is when we had that crash, uh, mm -hmm. the real estate crash, uh, which was caused by bad lending. It was bad malpractice and 
subprime loans is what they called them. And so lenders were just giving anybody a loan. As long as you had a pulse, you can get a loan. And I was actually a recipient of that. That's how I got my first place in 2005. Like, I wasn't making a whole lot of money in college, but I was able to get a loan. So it, it worked out. But they gave bad loans to many buyers that just didn't qualify. And they gave them what's called uh, these three-year arms which they are adjustable rate mortgages. And so what happens is you get, a, you, you get the loan, you buy a house, and the first three years, the interest rate is the same. After three years, that interest rate flips, and it's dependent on uh, at that time in the market where everything is. And so what happened is these people that had these 6% interest rates or 11% interest rates, after three years, they flip and... Uh, they went up to like 9% or 10%. Mm. And it was even doubling some people's mortgage payments. And so I remember with my mortgage payment, it went up like 50%. You know, mm. it was just like, whoa, what, like, what's going on? Like, that's a substantial increase, right? 50, 50 additional percent. Yeah. Um, and so it happened with so many people where once it flipped, and so people start defaulting on their loans. They no longer can make the payment. And that's when the huge foreclosure surge started to happen. <clears throat> and um, that's what caused like the market to bottom out in 2011. That's when we hit our absolute lows in 2011, where people lost up to 60% of uh, home value with their homes. And so wow. if you think about it, you know, a $500,000 home would have back in 2011 when it went down to like 300,000 or something right. like that, 350. And so people just lost incredible amount of equity. And at the same time, their mortgages were going up, you know? So yeah. just, just think about that. Like you're losing value in your home and your mortgage payment is going up. And so That's people just nuts. went defeated. They just stopped making their payments. That's insane. So was that caveat hidden? Because it seems like people were surprised about it. Yeah, I think it was like the first time in really American history where they were providing these subprime mortgages um, there was just a lot of bad guys out there that, you know, loan officers, banks, institutions, they were making money hand over fist. So they weren't going to say anything. They were just like, man, we're making so much money. And yeah, uh, that was just the economy turned bad at that time where people just, things just turned solid and people no longer had the ability to make their payments. And so it was like a, a couple of things that created this perfect storm of events that caused the, the real estate market to crash. Right, so see, that's why we're talking to you right now, so we can all get educated on real estate purchasing. <laughs> so, Absolutely. so yeah, so like, okay, let's just say I've decided that I'm making the decision that I'm going to buy a home. What should I do as someone who's never bought a home before? I don't know a lot about buying a home. What are some of the things that I should be aware of? Or what are some of the things that I should be doing? Yeah, first and foremost, I think anyone that's interested in the real estate market and buying a home is, you know, start off just doing some research. Just jump on Google and see how the market's performing in your particular area. There's so many news-worthy websites out there. You know, you can go to MSNBC. You can go to redfin.com. You can go to Zillow. Um, here in LA, I, I, I tap into curbedla.com. There's a lot of websites. So you can start to get a feel of just how well the market is performing. And then the second thing you should really do is uh, talk to a loan officer. That should be probably one of the first steps you take is 
by talking to a loan officer, you're going to see how much you qualify for. You know, mm. it's like, you know, you don't want to go shopping at a mall and you, you don't know how much you have in your wallet. So the loan officer is going to be able to let you know exactly what you qualify for, the price range that's going to work for you, break down what the monthly mortgage payment is going to be, break down your interest rate and all of that stuff. So by the time you get ready to start looking at homes, you already have a pre-approval letter, which gives you the ability to submit an offer. And so uh, once you get the loan officer, you get that all set up, then reach out to a, a real estate agent. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I always tell people, be really careful on who you select as far as a loan officer and a real estate agent. Make sure you do your due diligence to uh, look at that agent or that loan officer's resume. Uh, treat it like a job interview, you know, and you're looking to hire someone. You're just not going to pick anyone off the street, say, hey, come work for me. Mm -hmm. You want to really look at like what their track record is, what their history is, how many homes have they sold. Look at their reviews. All of us real estate agents, we should have reviews online. And if, we, if you don't, then that's a red flag. Mm. Um, but look at people are saying about them. Um, and, you know, the exper experience is so matters in this industry. You know, you mm -hmm. want to have a, an experienced agent. And I, I get it. You know, some people are starting off. I started off at the beginning, like, brand new and I needed people to gain their trust with working with me but at the same time like you got to interview the person make sure they know what they're doing know what they're talking about because that's going to be the track to success is, is having a great real estate agent and having a great loan officer it's going to make the role easy it's going to mitigate uh, uh, stress level and that not being high and uh, it's going to do a ton. So first step, do a little research on the market. Number two, mm -hmm. get a loan officer, get a pre-approval letter. Number three, interview a real estate agent, get connected with a real estate agent so then that they can start taking you out and showing you homes. Nice. And the loan officer, you could just go to like a few banks and shop around for loans that are attractive to you. Right? That's how it works. Yeah. Exactly. So it's, real, uh -huh. it's really similar to like car shopping, sort of. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. There's definitely some parallels there. Yeah. So what would you say is a good rate on a loan and a not so good rate on a loan? And how does one get a good rate? Obviously, I'm thinking credit report is a big one. Yeah, definitely. So the higher your credit the more favorable it's going to, the interest rate is going to be for you and what the loan officer quotes you at. Right now, we have historic, historic uh, interest rates right now. Uh, they're at below 3%. You know, I, wow. I can't recall the last time it's been 3%. Granted, again, we go back to 2005 when I bought my first place, it was 7.25 is what I got an interest rate for. <laughs> You think about today's time, so 3%, and this is what's the huge draw that's bringing buyers into the market because they see how low these interest rates are on a 30-year flicks. And so you're going to get that interest rate at 3%, where right now it's really at like 2.8, 2.7%. I've wow. even seen as low 2.3%. So with the Fed rates being near 0%, it has impacted uh, mortgage rates uh, in the same fashion. And so have a two point, let's say seven, five interest rate for a 30 year fix is incredible. Mm. You know, we don't, there may not be a time in the future where it will be this low for a long time. And so I think people are aware of that. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's just 
you know, it, it's a really good time to be borrowing money due to the interest rates being really low. And when you say 30 year fix, that means your interest rate is fixed for 30 years. It's not going to go up and it's not going to go down. Yeah. So most, I'd say 95% of the loans are going to be your 30 year fix, 90, 95%. Mm -hmm. That's what your conventional buyer gets. They get a 30 year loan, which means that you're paying that off for 30 years at a fixed rate. There's an amortization uh, table where you're paying principal interest taxes and insurance is all embedded in that mortgage payment. Um, but essentially, yeah, that, that interest rate's locked in. So your payment's gonna stay the same. So that's the big differentiator between like mortgage and, and, and rents. With rent in a place, you know, the, the owner could raise your rent every year, you know, and your payment's right. gonna change. But with the mortgage, that's fixed. That's gonna be your fixed set payment for the next 30 years. Right. And so how much should a buyer have in terms of a down payment? Like, should it be 10%, 20%, 30%? I've heard a whole, you know, range of things. So what do you recommend that a buyer should have ready? That is a tremendous, tremendous good question because there's a lot of misconceptions out there. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of myths. Um, so uh, just, just to speak statistics, your first time home buyer the average amount of down payment for a first-time home buyer throughout the country is six percent, um, but you can go as low as three to three and a percent. But again, keep in mind the average is six percent. Um, okay. So, uh, FHA Federal Housing Administration, um, which was created back in I believe 1930s, uh, which is a government-backed uh, entity. Uh, mm -hmm. which they, they, the money is backed by the government, right? So this allows them to put out a whole lot of money for uh, Americans to, to buy properties. And so um, FHA is the premier route to go for a lot of first-time home buyers. And again, you can put as low as 3.5% down, which is mm. uh, incredible uh, in regards to buying a property. Um, but um, many people try to save up to 20% down. Uh, reason being is there's something called private mortgage insurance, and I'll try to bottle this up as best as I can, as quick as I can, because it's, it's, it's late, but private mortgage insurance is uh, a thing all lenders have attached to their mortgages to protect them from the buyer defaulting on the loan. And okay. so uh, in order to totally eliminate private mortgage insurance, which sh short for is called PMI, a buyer has to put down at least 20%. If they mm. don't put down 20%, then they're liable to pay that private mortgage insurance until they hit that 20% cap. So let's just say you're a first time home buyer, you put 5% down. Um, once you get to the 20% clip from making your mortgage payments, that, that PMI private mortgage insurance is gonna stay there until Again, you eclipse the twenty percent, and PMI throughout the country, you know that could be a couple hundred dollars. I've seen it, you know, one hundred fifty dollars. I've seen it three hundred to four hundred dollars. So just imagine adding that to your mortgage payment, which is no benefit to you. You're just, you're paying money to the lender for an insurance that mm. no true benefit to the buyer. So right. Many want to get to that twenty percent, escape the whole private mortgage insurance. But again, you know, 
the average for a first-time home buyer is six percent. So many you're just gonna have to deal with the private mortgage insurance, and you'll just have it paid off throughout time. Once Got you get it. Twenty percent clip. Got it. So it's it's like an added fee almost. That's not really like benefiting you paying off your home. It's just like a a, a tax, basically. Yeah, pr pretty much a tax. And if you go FHA, it's actually for the life of the loan, but you could like refinance out of it after a while. Uh, that's a whole nother story here. But yeah, it, private mortgage insurance, nobody wants. It's just an added tax, let's just say, that the mortgage company charges you. Interesting. I had no idea that this existed. Because I have heard like how, how people only put down 3% and then I was also hearing some friends telling me you should put down 20%. No, you should put down 30%. Like it's like a little confusing. You all are telling me different things. Um, so this is super helpful. So mm -hmm. obviously real estate is an investment. A lot of people look at it as an investment. A lot of people also kind of look at it as a liability just because you know it's something that they now have to pay for. And if something breaks down, then they have to pay for that as opposed to them renting and everything gets basically taken care of and it's not their responsibility. But let's go down the route of looking at real estate as more of an investment, right? Because um, obviously it's an investment that you can also pass on to your children. So it becomes some sort of like generational wealth building type of thing. Um, and someone who's been in real estate for a good chunk of time, what, it's been six years now, 2014, 2020. Yeah. yeah it's been six years for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's been six years for you. So as a realtor, are you seeing a lot more, you know, people of color coming into the scene, buying more property, buying more homes for their families. And the reason why I'm asking that is because there's been a lot of histories where a lot of communities, you know, people from, from, from brown, black, black and brown communities who have been prevented from buying real estate in certain areas. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. You know, there's a long history of discrimination that's been happening, uh, uh, and it's actually one of the biggest contributors to why there's such uh, these wealth disparities among uh, racial groups. Um, you know, one being, you know, if you, you talk about just the black community, uh, I'm sure people have heard of the terms redlining. You know, back in, um, you know, the 1930s, the 40s, the 1960s, uh, it was this huge surge in homes being built. And, right. uh, Black people weren't afforded the opportunity to buy these, and, and but instead they mapped out these areas uh, into four different sections. You know, one was uh, a great area, uh, the second area was um, up and coming, uh, mm -hmm. the third area was uh, needs work, and then the other, the last section was bad area, you know, don't invest in. And mm. that's where they put, you know, black people, you know, they, they, they could mm -hmm. only be in those areas and they could only buy in those areas. Um, and then even just the struggle of uh, obtaining a loan was really difficult. It's, it wasn't until 1968 when they passed that bill, which was pretty much the last wave 
of, of the civil rights movement that allowed for fair housing. Um, mm. So you, when you really look at all of these, these decades and these centuries of not being able to buy land, it put you know, black people at a, at a severe uh, disadvantage. And um, to this day, you know, home, home ownership is still down uh, pretty significantly within like the black community. I think right. throughout the country, I think uh, when it comes to white people, I think their home ownership rates here in this country is about 70%, uh, where wow. black people, the home ownership rate is about 43% or 44%, something around mm -hmm. that range. So mm -hmm. there's this gap. And again, real oh, estate is the, the, the best vehicle to building wealth. And uh, right. until we can get these things right. And FHA, which I was just telling you about earlier, they discriminated back in the 30s and 40s and 50s and would not allow, they, they put in these, uh, in the grant deeds, they, they put in these covenants, these mm -hmm. restrictive covenants, these racial covenants that did not allow Jewish people, Black people, Hispanic, Asian people, Mm -hmm. they, they're still in these deeds to, this, to these days. They can't enforce them now because of the Fair Housing Bill, but you can still see these in a lot of these, these old grant, grant deeds. And so, yeah. you know, that's the big thing, you know, and, and, and we're still seeing the effects of that to this day. Right. I mean, you sent us this really powerful documentary that really beautifully encapsulates, encapsulates all that. And it specifically focuses on real estate in Minneapolis. What was that na the name of that documentary? I'll put it in the show notes so people can watch it. Uh, Jim Crow of the North. Really good. Jim I'm Crow sure of the North. Yeah, you. so people, people think about, you know, Jim Crow was really a, a southern thing, but uh, in the North, it was it, it was much more covert. You know, it was just these mm -hmm. racial undertones that was, um, uh, which was produced. You know, through it, it was institutionalized through right. real estate and through jobs, and it was just this discrimination that uh, made it totally unfair. You know, for people of color to thrive, mm -hmm. and uh, that, like you said, that documentary encapsulated. Uh, on a next level of what that looked like from a real estate aspect and how it blocked out uh, black people from buying homes uh, in that documentary in Minnesota and in, in Minneapolis area. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, great documentary. Yeah, really great. So what inspires you to want to be in real estate? Is this something that you see yourself doing for quite some time? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I'm very, very, very passionate about real estate. I work 60, 70 hours a week. Uh, I know <laughs> you always got something going on, um, sh homes to show, and you also have really great content that you're sharing on Instagram too. Yeah. I'm, I'm just passionate about it because I just love working with people. Um, and I love, and this is the biggest decision, the biggest purchase that many people are going to make. And so being able to be a part of that and being able to lead them to, to advocate for them, uh, to guide them in the right direction and then seeing the finished result. Um, the part that gets me every single time is when I'm working with a client and then at the very end on the day we close, handing them the keys at the property and just seeing their face light up and smile. Oh. There's 
the, I, there's no better feeling to me. Like I've never had such a warm, fuzzy feeling in my heart. And it's time and time and again, when I get to help a client reach that final goal of getting home ownership <laughs> and just the process it takes even to get there, you know, cause it's not like an overnight thing. You know, you're in escrow for 30 days. And even before even getting into escrow, you're looking at home, you're submitting offers, you're losing on offers, you're getting sad, you're getting Dang. down, you, you, you bounce back, you finally find the right home, you get the offer accepted. It's just, it's just an emotional roller coaster that I love to be a part of. <laughs> it does sound like an emotional roller coaster. What's like the typical length of time that it takes someone to find a home and, and, and buy it? Yeah, every buyer is different. It depends on how um, how urgent it is for them. So I, the typical buyer I work with, it, it probably we're probably looking for a month to maybe two months at most if they're really looking to buy. It, then mm -hmm. it scales. I mean, there's people that I got in touch with, and then they don't come back till a year later. Then they're ready for sure, and then mm. they buy a home. Um, but you know, I would expect anyone that's like actively looking. You know, you're looking at probably 30 to 45 days before, you know, you find the right home and, or, and get an offer accepted. Right. You're probably going to lose out on a few offers. Uh, so, you know, it's just, you know, you got to prepare the buyer <laughs> to know that it's a competitive market. You know, you're going to find a home that you like and 20 other people like. You're right. all going to get an offer on it. And you may not get it. And you, know, you just got to be okay. Don't be emotionally attached to any property until you actually get the keys. That's one of the number one things I, I tell. Do not get emotionally attached to any property <laughs> until you get the keys. That's probably easier said than done for a lot of your clients, <laughs> I'm assuming. Right. Yeah, it is. It is. But it's, it's really fun. I, I really enjoy it. I mean, I, I got my license in 2014. Um, like I told you, I didn't do a single deal that first year. The second year, I did like three deals. Third year, I did eight deals the year after that I did 17 deals then I got it up to 24 and Dang. now currently when you look at my last 12 months I've done like 32 deals so wow. um this has been a gradual just progression right right and I, I just love the the whole process you know and the yeah. body of work that you have to put in in order to see those type of results right you think it's it you really just needed that you know, opportunity and that time to build your clientele. That's yeah. exactly what it is. Now it's it's much easier now for me to get a deal because I've worked with so many people and it's all about leaving good impressions on them. I get more referrals now than I ever have. Like I'll get a random phone call and hey, <laughs> uh, from a past, I got a friend that wants to buy a, a home. Can you can you can you can you can can you guys get connected? And I'm like absolutely. And so just over the time, that's what business is when you're in the business long enough, you start getting referrals from your, your sphere of influence, from your past clients, and then just even internet, you know, just the, the presence right. you have on the internet. I've gotten people off of Instagram that hit me in my DMs. They slid in my DMs <laughs> and um, ended up buying a house with me. That's awesome. That just shows how important it is to be someone who is a kind person where you're going to treat someone, you know, with respect and also be true to your word because I'm sure your clients are going to have some certain set of expectations and you're going to be accountable for that. So, you know, having that to stand by is so important. 
So, Greg, I'm going to ask some rapid-fire questions here. Why don't you just tell me first thing that comes to your mind? Sure. All right. What's your purpose in the world? My purpose in the world is to motivate the youth, I think, the leader, and help guide the youth and really, I uh, think, uh, try to give them a perspective in life that uh, is all encompassing regarding life's struggles, life successes, and everything in between. Uh, you know, I, I've done some mentorship with uh, kids of the last high schoolers and middle schoolers for the last eight years, and I've just totally am passionate about that. And I think that's one of my big purposes is to give back in that way. Mm, I do see a lot of your work with that on, again, social media. If you guys want to <laughs> see what Greg's all about, just follow him on Instagram. Um, tell you guys what his handle is later. What would you tell... <laughs> Say it. Go ahead. Say it. Oh, yeah. My Instagram is gbanks in LA. So gbanks, G-B-A-N-K-S-I-N-L-A. L-A. So gbanks in LA. Follow me. All right. <laughs> what would you tell your 20-year-old self? Uh, I'll tell my 20-year-old self is uh, guard your heart and uh, whatever you love, protect that, you know, at all costs prioritize the things that matter and everything else, whether it's superficial, surface level, kick it to the curb. <laughs> know what your three parts are and focus on those things and be, have just straight focus on those things. Awesome. <laughs> what do you think the world needs more of? One more time. What do you think the world needs more of? Uh, I think the world needs more understanding. Uh, I think we're in a unique time right now where, you know, Black Lives Matter. Um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of things are being uh, brought to the surface in just regards to just inequalities and uh, injustices. And uh, I feel like the world just needs more understanding. People understanding other people like taking the time out to understand other perspectives, understand other people's trials and tribulations and, and what they've been through and understand that there is this supremacy out there. You know, there, mm -hmm. there is this out there and to be kind and be mm -hmm. open and be transparent, be raw about what that is and, and try to do your part to contribute to make it better for all, not just people mm. that look like you or, you know, people that are in your immediate circle. Mm, I love that. I really love the part where you said, do your part because yes. everyone has a part to play and not everyone's part looks the same. And I think that, that a lot of us sometimes get caught up in how that part is supposed to look like but we all have our unique gifts, our unique talents, our unique resources, experiences. So we don't have to all do the exact same thing. We don't all have to protest, you know, we don't all have to donate money. We have unique gifts that we can contribute, that we can use to like lift everybody up, including ourselves. Absolutely. And it's about being a good Samaritan, you know, being a, a good 
good Samaritan just, you know, the ability to to help others in the, in the time of need. And uh, I think one of the key things that I've seen, especially in this in this racial tension that's going on right mm-hmm. now, is it's, it's not, you know, it's, it, what the saying was, it's not okay just to be not racist, you know. It's right. important to be anti-racist, which is a vast difference. And I think, you know, when we start mm. looking at anti-racist, it means that you're actually stopping acts that you see that are racist or discriminatory mm-hmm. or bigoted, opposed to just saying, well, it has nothing to do with me. I know that I'm not racist. So I think that's that's going to be the key, you know, and that's part of that we all got to do our part. Right. I, I, I totally agree. It's sort of like staying silent, you know, you're not really helping. You're, you're also complicit is, is mm-hmm. I guess what I'm trying to say. If you're staying quiet and staying silent, you're a part of, you're not being a part of the solution. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, well, Greg, thank you so much for joining me on this episode. Can you tell us where people can find you if they want to work with you, learn from you, link up with you? Absolutely. Um, you find me again on Instagram. Uh, my handle is gbanksina. Um, you can also find me on uh, Gregory Eubanks. LinkedIn, my name, Gregory Eubanks. You can also find me, if you type in Google, if you put Gregory Eubanks Real Estate Agent, you can find my uh, real estate link profile, which, uh, you know, you can go in and look at my reviews and all the homes that I've sold. Um, and then if you if you are in LA, I definitely can help you find a home or even if you need to sell a home, I'm here for you. Um, and yeah, that's how you can find me. Awesome. Thanks, Greg. I'll make sure to put all of Greg's information in the show notes so that you can find him easily. Thanks, everyone. Make sure to subscribe and also leave a rating so that way more people can find Just Flow With It. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a great, wonderful rest of your week.